I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. You know, it, it begins with very timely with the name of the church, uh, verse yeah. 27. Isn't it kind of fascinating, though? We're talking A.D. 34 to 35. They had this issue with what do we call the church? Um, when Joseph Smith started the restoration of the church, they had an issue of what should we name the church? And then last year, we received revelation, not on changing the name, but a reiteration of what we should call ourselves and remembering the name of the church and why it's called that. Like, we're talking a 2,000-year Thing that we keep revisiting because it's that important first of all and second of all because we tend to kind of forget we come with nicknames or we come with what should what should we call ourselves the lord's pretty clear how can it be my what is it in verse five have they not read the scriptures which say ye must take upon you the name of christ which is my name for by this name shall ye be called at the last day how be it my church, save it be called in my name. For if a church be called in Moses' name, then it be Moses' church. I like how, if you think about these people, they they were all faithful. We know that because all the wicked were killed a couple of chapters ago, right? They were already righteous, you know. They probably already belonged to the church. They already probably had a name that they used. The Church of Sarahemla or the followers of Nephi or I don't know, whatever it was, right? And it was it wasn't a whole new thing. And I'm sure for them to have disputations and for him to, you know, it may be before it was called the Church of Moses in verse eight, because they were observing the law of Moses. And it could have been very easy to say, Hey, we're the Church of Moses. Because yeah, he uses that very specific example. Like, if you call it Moses, then wouldn't it be Moses' church? <laughs> and it's kind of very similar to our era, where it's the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And a lot of times that long name sounded really, like, formal and confusing. And, it, and I always thought it was meant to distinguish us from other Christian churches, you know. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, now it feels like we have we it seems like we tend to allow things to creep up even with good intentions between us and christ you know moses is a righteous man he's a good guy you'd be well to try to be like moses you would do well you would do well to try to be like mormon you'd do well to try to be like joseph you know so all these things but i think it's like a very strong reminder that we would do what best to try to be like christ you know Right. You know? And that um, oftentimes we can we can develop uh, what is it an affinity or a familiarity with either a principal or an individual who, in the church. And by almost accident, they become kind of a source of our faith, as opposed to you know our our savior himself. You know. Because uh, you can read several stories or, or you can become like a historian and start, oh, you know, look at all these books about Joseph Smith and his life. And wow, can you believe this? And then they found out this and you can become so, which is not a bad thing, but it becomes a bad thing when 
even good things can become idols, you know, false yeah. idols. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and even, I mean, we can look at Moroni in the way that he's talked about in the Book of Mormon as being, you know, if everyone were like unto him. But it's it's an admiration for his righteousness and his resolve to follow the gospel. But it's never like a, okay, well, now we're going to start a branch where we worship Moroni. And I think that especially now, um, when social media and such is, is all a big deal, and people want to use their experiences or maybe I think that that Satan kind of can play on a lot of times people's ego and people's desire to do good. Not that everyone is like this by any means, but, you know, you get these kind of LDS celebrity types, you know, and as I think it's totally fine as long as they're making sure that they maintain their focus on the savior and, and always deflecting any honor and glory back to God and not ever claiming it for themselves as being some holders of knowledge or insight that no one else has. Right. Well, that, that's that, a... that gets a little bit tricky for me because sometimes I'm like, the people we should be following are the people that have been called of God. All of us have awesome insights and perspective and whatever that we can all share with each other to build up each other's testimonies. No doubt about that. But when it comes down to it, who are we supposed to be following? You know, who are who are we supposed to be using as a compass? Not necessarily one another, but those who have been called of God and directed by God directly. Yeah, I was going to say that's a big temptation as a missionary. You know, oh. you have investigators that get attached to missionaries and their personality and and their style, and even just they're just really good missionaries. And, and they they related really well with them. But then they get transferred or, or whatever, and then new set of missionaries come. And you see oftentimes new investigators or potential investigators, they fall away or they, they leave the church or because this new style. And, and, it's, and that's nothing to blame them for. I mean, it's something we all do. We all have... Hey, I really like when this guy teaches Sunday school. Oh, he does such a good job. I just love when he goes there. And then you kind of, oftentimes, you can be tempted. Oh, this person, they just they don't, they don't really teach the style I like. And so, I don't know. We can skip that Sunday. Or, you know, there, there's always, there's always that kind of temptation. But the truth of it is, is if we follow Christ and continuously make Him the center of our worship then individuals will only serve to strengthen our faith and not dissuade our faith because we put too much, we built too much of our testimony on someone else or an event or a faith promoting story. You know, that can be tempting. And it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear those stories of missionary. They were about to give up and, and they felt, oh, I got to knock one more door. And, mm -hmm. and as they did that, they, they had the perfect thing happen. And, and it's like, but the gospel is not just the good feel good outcomes it's also there are times when you knock on a hundred doors and nothing good ever happens and people are angry with you and you weren't any less faithful you know uh, being on the lord's errand uh sometimes the test and, and we look at every time we read job or we go over his story we can all logically see the end from the beginning and say to ourselves, oh, I can see how the Lord tested him. So when we're tested, but it's hard when we're going through it, when we're yeah. actually going through it and the outcomes don't seem to come and we feel like the Lord has abandoned us and, and why are good things happening to me? I'm doing my best. Or maybe I finally decided to repent and I thought it'd be easier because I really want to, but it's just as hard or I have this urges or these urges or these temptations still bother me. I thought I was clean. What's going on? And it's like, have we not read the scriptures? Do we not know that the Lord fulfills his promises, that he always comes through? But that doesn't mean there isn't a time to be tested. That doesn't mean it's going to be instant. Sometimes we have to just have faith and continue and continue and continue to use our agency. And then that, that relief will come, you know? Yeah. Um, I like in verse 20, in chapter 27, verse 21, where he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this is my gospel, and ye know the things that ye must do in my church. 
for the works which ye have seen me do, that shall ye do. For that which ye have seen me do, even that shall ye do. And it's it's very simple. And he says in verse 22, Therefore, if you do these things, blessed are ye, for ye should be lifted up at the last day. And it's interesting because he can say this to them because he spent days with them. Not, not only do they have the scriptures that, that show his works and how he is, but they have his witness on how shall he treat each other? How do you, you know, what, how, how have I treated you? With kindness, with love, with anticipating your needs, which answering your questions, which, you know, giving you what you need when you need it and not giving you too much to overwhelm you, you know, just being very thoughtful. How should we treat others? like like that you know yeah and then he he gives them a commandment to write all these things because by the things that are written they shall be judged which to me is kind of a reminder that you're judged based on your understanding and what what you did with the knowledge you had yeah which is you know always reassuring i mean it's also kind of condemning you know when he later says something about um they will wish they hadn't been born or it would be better if they hadn't been born if they know this and don't follow it, essentially. I mean, that's kind of a, a very direct way of saying it. But really what he's saying is those of you who have the truth, those of you who have learned the gospel, uh, you're you're going to be held accountable for what you've learned. And everyone will be held accountable for what they've had access to. So if you've had access to the fullness of the gospel and, you know, a supportive environment where you're able to attend church and all of that that's what you'll be held accountable for um, you're not going to be held accountable the same way someone who's never heard the gospel is and um, so it just kind of makes us kind of look at it and say okay well if i know better the last thing i think you want is in the judgment him looking at you and saying you knew better than this you know that would be like the ultimate disappointment in yourself because like yeah i did know better and i still didn't choose better we always have to remember to follow everything that we've learned and we can't pick and choose what we're going to choose to follow or not. Um, I think to me, it, uh, it really speaks to the fact that we should avoid procrastination and rationalization. We should avoid them and try to live in the moment. What do we know? What is the best thing to do now? It, it may not be perfect, but I'm going to, have a habit of trying to do the best I know how until I receive more information and knowledge. And when you receive more information, never have I received correction from the spirit. Well, I've received correction from the spirit, but never have I felt it was demeaning when I was honestly seeking it. Like yeah. I never felt that. I just said, oh, okay, I'll just do better at doing this. And, and oftentimes I think that that principle you talked on uh, talked about here about people judging each other and and um, according to the knowledge that they have, I think that has been a principle that has been twisted since the great apostasy to beat each other, be, beat other people up, and to feel greater than others. To right. say things like "those heathens, the heathens will burn in hell," you know, and it's like they probably will be fine because they don't know the truth, you know. <laughs> but but I mean. It shouldn't strike fear in us that we, it should only strike fear in us if we know we're constantly rationalizing and putting off promptings. Then we should understand that that's not going to fly. But if we don't know, and once we have new knowledge, once in conference we hear something or our leaders tell us, you know, you should be doing this. And, you know, if you're willing to accept it and adapt it and, and use it in your life, then it shouldn't become at a great burden of guilt. It should just be happy. You know, the gospel is called the good news. And it's the good news to those who are of the disposition that, hey, as I learn better things, as I learn to be more like Jesus, I'm going to let go of false traditions, let go of bad habits, and accept new habits. And in that process, there's much happiness and, and relief and, and joy and peace. It's not happiness, and it feels condemnation when you got a foot in Babylon, and you're trying to keep another foot in Zion, then you'll feel turmoil, you'll feel, I don't know, dissonance, you'll feel 
it's not right or or it's not working for me. It works for everybody else, but it's not working. Well, where are both your feet? Are you standing in holy places? Are you a hundred percent in? And even then, you got to persevere. You got to keep going. Something you see in here is that he basically kind of tells them, you know, you need to be baptized. You need to follow the gospel. Um, He's talking to his disciples. So he's talking about how you need to be judges of this people. And according to the judgment, which I shall give unto you. And um, then in verse 31, behold, I would that you should understand for I mean them who are now alive of this generation and none of them are lost. And in them, I have found fullness of joy. And then 32, but behold, it's sorrow with me because of the fourth generation from this generation for they are led away captive by him, even as was the son of perdition. For they will sell me for silver and for gold, and for that which moth doth corrupt, and which thieves can break through and steal. And in that day I will visit them, even in turning their words upon their own heads. And I think this is again, like, he's, they've gotten this prophecy before. And then he's, get, he's giving it to them again, basically saying, everything's good right now, but just so you know, in four generations from now, it's all it, it will fall apart. And once again, if I'm one of those disciples that's just been called to represent him on earth, I'm like, uh, what? You know, like, wait, but everything's so great right now, and everything's so perfect, and everyone understands everything. How can it be that in four generations we're going to lose everything? You know, and we see over the next few chapters that, especially in... Fourth Nephite really outlines it, outlines it very, very clearly that they go from everyone being members of the church and active and there's peace and there's no dissension to letting it a little bit creep in here and there to then they want they have a little bit of pride and they have churches built for themselves and to kind of separate them from others. And then they're doing really well economically. They're prospering because they're being righteous. But then, you know, that pride creeps in and it causes them to to fall exactly as he predicted. And I think that, that that more than anything should be a symbol to us. We look at the pioneers as this example of these people who found the truth. They were filled with the spirit of God. They were able to sacrifice anything and everything to get to build zion and we can't can we can't basic base our own uh testimonies on their testimonies we can't base our own spirituality and our own relationship with god on what the pioneers did uh, we have to continue to refresh our own so that we don't fall victim to that pride so that we don't fall into that contentious spirit right it's it's almost like it's it's good to have the testimony of others. It's good to feel the spirit when they testify. But it is upon us to know for ourselves. Yeah. You know, and as you know for yourself, all of these other testimonies you will only serve to enrich yours. But if you don't know for yourselves, they won't be enough to carry you through the hard times. Because when the when the hard time comes, it is your relationship with the Savior. And if you haven't been building that path, if you haven't been creating that connection, the testimony of others won't buoy you up. Yep. Um, when you were reading in uh, in twenty seven, I think, where it says uh, in verse thirty two, "But behold, it sorrowed me that the fourth generation from this generation." The thought I had. Look at the saints and all the times that they were commanded to move from city to city. And almost every single one, their hope was like, this one's it. This is Zion. Come to, to Missouri. Come come to Nauvoo. Come, you know, and, and it failed. And you think about, okay, you're, you're going to be here how, in this new place. How will you build that house? How, with what effort will you build this house? With what effort will you design this city, this road? Knowing that if past experience comes around, we may not be here very long. And it really made me think of like the Mother Teresa prayer where, where it says, uh, people, often, uh, people are often unreasonable, irritable, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of being selfish. 
and alternative motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find sincerity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. And then the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. And I really like that because it kind of like, I can see the Savior being here. I'm going to give you guys all of this. But in the fourth generation, you're going to fall away anyway. But the way he approaches it is everyone is of, of the greatest value. Every situation deserves our best effort. And his example is, if you look at his life, he has continuously succored his people, continuously helped them and groomed them and rescued them, delivered them, answered their prayers, and they forget him anyway. Yeah. And he comes back and it's like, if we are to be his disciples, we should be very familiar with the sentiment that we will do it anyway, that we will we will do our best, that we will go to that house. Oh, he always never answers his door, or he just kind of pushes us away, or that member does this, or that person, they always act snooty, or they always try to brag or, 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 or be condescending in class, or that one always tries to show up, or that one gives me a weird look, and that one seals my seed, and well, do your best anyway. If the Savior himself have, have, has had to deal with constant disappointment of those he loves and has given everything to, how can we not know that that's going to happen to us and that we need to taste a little bit of that? And maybe knowing that, we can be better disciples and say, I'm not going to forget. I'm going to do my best to remember. Well, and it goes hand in hand with how we treat others around us on a daily basis. You might look at someone and say, that guy doesn't care about me anyway. That guy, why should I be nice to them? Or why should I help that person out? Or why should I? Because you're meant to do it anyway, regardless of what that person, whether they will respect you more or whether they will appreciate it or not. It's what the Savior would have done. And that's hard because sometimes that person is really kind of intolerable, right? And you don't really want to deal with them and you don't feel like they deserve your help or whatever or your compassion or whatever, because they're kind of, maybe they're rude, maybe they have a history of being, of not showing appreciation or whatever it may be, but it's not for you to decide all of that. If these disciples had heard, okay, in four generations, it's gonna all fall apart, and they'd said, well, then why do we need to put forth all this effort now? Why don't we why just- Why should we write these things down? <laughs> yeah, what difference is it gonna make if this is all gonna fall apart? You know, but then they would be missing the point because you should do it anyway, not only for the people that will be saved during those four generations, but because the Lord has asked you to. Moving on to, to chapter 28, we get some interesting stuff here. He basically, I think he's preparing to, to leave them, and he's speaking to his disciples, and it says in verse 1, one by one, saying unto them, what is it that ye desire of me after I am gone to the Father? And nine of them ask for what I think most of us would ask for, which is we desire that after we have lived unto the age of man, that our, that our ministry wherein thou hast called us may have an end, that we may speedily come to thee in thy kingdom. And in verse four, and he said unto them, blessed are ye because ye desired this thing of me. Therefore, after that ye are 70 and two years old, ye shall come unto me in my kingdom and with me ye shall find rest. I mean, if any of us could, <laughs> could be guaranteed that, it would be great, right? To know that it, <laughs> he even tells him when you're when you turn 72 years old, every you'll you'll die, right? You'll come into me in my kingdom, and with me you shall find rest. That's great. The other three of the twelve ask for something a little bit out of the box, and I I wonder how much time they had to think about this. If he kind of brought it up to them said, hey, be thinking about what, what you desire, what will help you in your ministry or something like that. 
And for some of them, it was just knowing that I'm going to be exalted and I'm going to be in the presence of the Savior is enough for me to give everything I've got to this ministry. And for these other three, it was, they were almost a little bit ashamed to ask for it. And then in verse six, he says, and he said unto them, behold, I know your thoughts and you have desired the thing which John, my beloved, who was with me in my ministry before that I was lifted up by the Jews desired of me. And what they want is eternal life. Um, they want the same that the others got, but they also don't want to die at 72. They want to continue their ministry. It's kind of interesting. In verse 7, Therefore, blessed, more blessed are ye, for ye shall never taste of death. For ye shall live to behold all the doings of the Father unto the children of men, even until all things shall be fulfilled according to the will of the Father, when I shall come in my glory with the powers of heaven. And ye shall never endure the pains of death, but when I shall come in my glory, ye shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye from mortality to immortality, and then shall ye be blessed in the kingdom of my Father. It's interesting, though, because he, as he kind of talks to them about what it's going to be, in verse 12, And it came to pass that when Jesus had spoken these words, he touched every one of them with his finger, save it were the three who were to tarry, and then he departed. And behold, the heavens were opened, and they were caught up into heaven, and saw and heard unspeakable things. And it was forbidden them that they should utter, neither was it given unto them power that they should utter the things which they saw and heard. And wherefore they were in the body or out of the body, they could not tell. For it did seem unto them like a transfiguration of them, that they were changed from this body of flesh into an immortal state, that they could behold the things of God. I like how in uh, verse 29... Well, in verse um, 24, where was I looking? It was basically he was saying, I was about to write their names, but the Spirit told me not to. Yeah, it's uh, verse 25. 25, yeah, yeah. Okay. And then 26, but behold, I have seen them, and they have ministered unto me. And behold, they will be among the Gentiles, and the Gentiles shall know them not. And they will also be among the Jews, and the Jews shall know them not. And it shall come to pass that when the Lord seeth fit in his wisdom, that they shall minister unto all the scattered tribes of Israel and unto all nations, kindred, tongues, and people. I like I like this a lot because it's all nations, not some nations, all nations. Yeah. And shall bring out of them unto Jesus many souls that their desire may be fulfilled. And also because of the convincing power of God, which is in them. I like to think this is my opinion. This is my fantasy. This is, and just take it for what it is. I like to think that I feel really bad for people who don't have the gospel, like, or who are living in an apostasy era. And they are good people and would like to know the truth. But the society or that culture or that tribe, whatever, is not ready for a restoration. I like to think that these, these disciples, they go and minister to the one, you know, that they are following Jesus's example and they leave the 99 and go to the one because that one is not forgotten, you know, that the, the one is, is remembered uh, and they prepare the way, you know, and even if like there won't be an established church, those people can receive and be led to Christ through these disciples and their testimony and their working and ministering unto others. And if we know anything about how Christ ministered to these people, a lot of it was very gracious, bountiful, very generous, even perceiving a need that they themselves at times didn't know they had and giving them more than whatever they expected. And if these disciples follow him, you would feel like that they would be doing a very similar task, helping people, helping, saving people, and giving them help in where they weren't expecting. I think there's a, a lot of, I don't know, LDS folklore about the three Nephites, you know, that it seems like everyone has a, a random experience where they think that maybe a third, one of the three Nephites was there or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? But what I have heard is instances where the gospel has been removed from a time, from a place, because of war or something like that, or it has opened in a new area, 
and the missionaries begin to teach again and they find people who say things say things like oh yeah i've heard this before wait what do you mean yeah i've heard about joseph smith and i've heard about all of this before <laughs> and the missionaries are often caught off guard because they're kind of like how could this be we're the first ones in this area or whatever and they talk about you know someone came in and told us about this i've never had an experience like that myself but i've heard of several instances like that and I once again, this is also my opinion. I'm I'm not sure, but those those scriptures where it talks about how they will go to the um, when the Lord seeth fit in His wisdom that they shall minister unto the scattered tribes of Israel and to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, and shall bring out of them unto Jesus many souls. I think they're doing they're carrying on their ministry. They're still out there teaching, and they're teaching the people who need to hear it most. And it may be people, maybe they're preparing the ground for the gospel. Uh, there's plenty of places on this planet that we still don't have access to. And maybe they do. It says that they will be they will not be known unto the Gentiles, right? So they're kind of under the radar somehow. I don't know how all of that works, but it seems to me like they they continue on doing the work of the Lord, and that's what they wanted, right? It wasn't, I just want to live forever just to see what it's like someday. It was, I want to live forever so I can continue to do my ministry. I also tend to think that, and this is just my opinion, but I tend to think that if they ministered to Mormon, that they probably have done that multiple times throughout history. Mormon was the prophet at the time when he was writing all of this, compiling the Book of Mormon. It doesn't seem to me out of the realm of possibility that they would at times check in with whoever is the prophet at the time. They still are the presiding authority on earth, right? So it would make sense. Um, in verses at the very end of the chapter, we learned something interesting in verse 36, and it says, And now behold, I speak concerning those whom the Lord hath chosen, yea, even three who were caught up into the heavens, that I knew not whether they were cleansed from mortality to immortality. But behold, since I wrote, I have inquired of the Lord, and he hath made it manifest unto me that there must needs be a change wrought upon their bodies, or else it needs be that they must taste of death. Therefore, that they might not taste of death, there was a change wrought upon their bodies, that they might not suffer pain nor sorrow, save it were for the sins of the world. Now this change was not equal to that which shall take place in the last day, but there was a change wrought upon them, insomuch that Satan could have no power over them, that he could not tempt them, and they were sanctified in the flesh, that they were holy, and that the powers of the earth could not hold them. And in this state they were to remain until the judgment day of Christ, and at that day they were to receive a greater change, and to be received into the kingdom of the Father, to go no more out, but to dwell with God eternally in, in the heavens. So this to me, he's talking about this kind of transfiguration that they underwent. And it's not a full change to immortality and exaltation, right? Um, they're not like angels or exalted beings of some sort. Not quite yet, right? They'll, they'll get that later. But it, it's interesting that he says, you know, there's a there change happened to them. And it's so that they can't be tempted by Satan. They can't feel pain or sorrow. And it's almost like all of these mortal barriers of hunger, pain, temptation, stuff like that, were removed from them to help them be able to simply focus on doing the ministry of the Lord. Yeah, I'd like to add, too, that all of these disciples receiving their promises or calling in elections, made sure, in other words, was not a shortcut. They yeah. have all proven themselves. They have all uh, almost graduated from this earthly state, right? And in just as if, just like there is more for them to do, so will there be for us. the The work of the Lord continues on in this side of the veil, in the next, you know. And um, you know, just like Alma the Younger, his mighty change of heart. To us appeared instant. To him, he was in agony and in despair for what seemed forever until he was delivered and his from the Lord, right? And then he spent his life in the service trying to undo all his wrongs. Because I, I know when I was younger and I read these stories, I always felt, man, they are so lucky. Oh, they're <laughs> so lucky. Oh, I wish I could do, you know. And you can get caught up in that. And it's like, yeah, they are lucky and they're blessed and but it's it's not so much luck as it is they have fulfilled what they were sent here on earth to do. And so can we. You know, we're just on a different time frame. 
we're all going to get to the fruit, uh, to the tree of life in particular. We're all going to get there. The, the time by which we get there is different for everybody. And we, 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 we should be glad of this example because it is something we too can hope for. We know that are we reached a point where our greatest desire from the Lord is not riches, but Lord, can I help you with what you've taught us to help others? And that alone should be a great indicator of where our heart is. Are we saying, hey, can I have, you know, a Bugatti Veyron in heaven and a 75-inch TV and seven horses? And, and you know, you know what I mean? No, it, it, a good indicator would be of our conversion would be, do we begin to want what the Lord wants? What yeah. matters to him doesn't begin to matter to us. Well, and that's why that's why every time he said, whatever you ask for, I'll give you throughout the Book of Mormon to different prophets, different people. It's because he trusts them that they're not going to ask for the 75 inch television because they know how frivolous and unimportant that is in the big, in the big picture. The reason why he can turn to these 12 gentlemen and say, what do you want? What desirest thou? Is because he knows that they're going to desire good things. Nine of them said, all I want to know is that I've got a place in heaven when this is all said and done. That way I can just focus on doing my work, my ministry, and I know that that place is assured to me. Done. The other three said, you know, we, we kind of want to continue doing this until the very, very end, until it's all said and done. And there's a lot of challenges with that too, but... I think what, what it really exemplifies is where their hearts are, right? In sharing their testimonies and in sharing that ministry with people forever. I like to also think about how these, these individuals are very righteous, right? Yet they're still given a choice. Yet the Lord he lets them exercise their agency. And I think oftentimes we think that the more I bind myself to the gospel in Christ, the more restrictive and the more like I become just like a servant. And it's like, no, everyone continues to have agency and choice. And although they both chose good things, definitely one was told, hey, you desire something great. I'm so happy you said this. But that doesn't disparage the other ones and say, not like those bums who just want to go to heaven. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they too are, have work to do. And I like that a lot because I, I like to think that we retain our individual characteristics, you know, and we well, know and, that even God himself has agency. You know? And we also know that on the other side, it's not just playing a harp and, and laying around, you know, they were going to go to the other side to continue to do more things. It was a different kind of ministry than the three that remained. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting the other thing that I, I noticed from those verses, basically verse 37, is Mormon's writing here. And he's like, but behold, since I wrote, because he's saying, remember how I said I wasn't sure if they were cleansed from mortality to immortality and how that worked? Well, actually, since I wrote that, I went and inquired of the Lord, and he hath made it manifest unto me that there must needs be a change right upon their bodies. So he, he didn't know something. And this is kind of apart from the, the three Nephites story to begin with. But he wrote, I'm not really sure how this all worked. I wasn't there. I don't know if they went from, from mortality to immortality. But I went and asked the Lord, and he, he enlightened me. He gave me an, an answer. And I think that this is what you see a lot with, with President Nelson. There are situations where I think he's kind of like, how should we approach this? What should we do about this? I'm not really sure. And then he may as well may as well come out in general conference and say, "Hey, since I last spoke to you all, I've inquired of the Lord, and this is what we should do," because it's the same thing, right? It's a prophet reaching out and saying, "This is the problem I have. This is the the lack of knowledge that I have. Can you can you help me?" And in this situation for Mormon, it was a a principle of kind of doctrine. There's a transfiguration that occurred that to be on this higher level, you cannot have a normal mortal body, but you also don't have an exalted body. That's what happened. And he was able to clarify that for us, which I thought, I just thought that, you know, it's interesting to see him not only admit, hey, something I didn't know, but also kind of walk us through his answer he got. 
it's kind of cool. I also like to think in verse 29, it kind of just expresses a lot the coming of the Book of Mormon and the restoration of these these uh, words. And um, verse 3, I like a lot, where it says, um, And ye need not imagine in your hearts that the words which have been spoken are vain. For behold, the Lord will remember his covenant which he has made unto his people, the house of Israel. And when you shall see these things coming forth among you, then you need not, not any longer spurn at the doings of the Lord, for the sword of his justice is at his right hand. And behold, at that day ye shall ye shall spurn at these at his doings will cause that ye shall that ye shall soon overtake you. Sorry. And then it gives us uh, several warnings, you know. Woe unto him that spurneth at the things of the Lord, and deny Christ in his works. Woe unto him that shall deny the revelations of the Lord. And that saith, the Lord worketh by revelation no longer, and by prophecy or the gifts and tongues and healings and the powers of the Holy Ghost. Yea, woe unto him that shall say at that day to get gain, that there shall be no miracle brought by Jesus Christ. For he that doth this shall become like unto the son of perdition, for whom there shall no mercy according to the word of Christ. Yea, ye need not any longer hiss, nor spurn, nor make game of the Jews, nor any of the remnant of the house of Israel. For behold, the Lord remembereth his covenant with them, and he will do unto them according to that which he has sworn. Meaning they're going to be redeemed. They will not be scattered forever. They will. And I like this a lot because the time when the Book of Mormon comes about, when it's brought forth again, all of these teachings, is a time when it was at the height of everyone moving on with the gospel. And, and it, there was a thirst for knowledge, but it led people to try to rationalize it in their own way. Oh, these miracles aren't done away. We, we, you know, the age of prophets is gone. You know, we need to do the best with what we have. And at that time, boom, the restoration and the Book of Mormon comes forth to bear testimony of Jesus Christ, to bear testimony that he does call prophets, that the ordinances must be done correctly, must be done through priesthood authority. You know, that we must take upon him our name, that baptism, you know, repentance, baptism, and, and, and the gift of the Holy Ghost are, 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 you know, the principles of the gospel, you know. And um, and there are many who saw this and said, what an answer to our prayers. And on the other hand, there's many who see this, even in our day, and say, that's ridiculous. No man can know these things. That, you know, that time has passed away. You know, you're talking about fairy tales. And, and it's giving us a warning here that... We should be careful because the story we are giving in all of the scriptures point to continuous revelation. The Lord calls it and establishes his church repeatedly. And the only reason it falls away, like it's telling us before, the fourth generation is because they choose to forget the Lord. They choose to put pride and vanity ahead of the commandments in the gospel, right? And we're about to read in fourth Nephi how that unravels it be it went from the people were righteous to being so united and one and caring for each other to starting to be divided and starting to have wickedness creep in and as that started people began to differentiate themselves more from each other and to think of themselves and not their neighbor up to the point where they had to once again it says it, it tells us in here that they had to separate themselves from the non-believers and go back to where the Nephites and where Lamanites, you know, and that's where we started with this. Where Nephites and the Lamanites, we did away with all of that. There were no matter of vites. We were just happy. One people loving the Lord and living the gospel. Right. And then as soon as wickedness crept in, it was in, and it wasn't, a, it's not a criticism. They had to find a way to say, no, we need to separate ourselves. We need to let you guys know that we are the Nephites and they are now the Lamanites because we li are living two different lifestyles. Yeah. I think, I think you kind of see some of the frustration that Mormon, I don't know who writes chapter 30. I think Mormon writes it. I think he, it's like a short little commentary and it may be while he's reading some of the events that happen in fourth Nephi. That's kind of just the vibe I get because he's like two verses just kind of throws them in there. Hark, you know, you Gentiles, and hear the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, 
which he hath commanded me that I should speak concerning you. For behold, he hath commanded me that I should write, saying, Turn all ye Gentiles from your wicked ways, and repent of your evil doings, of your lyings and your deceivings, and of your whoredoms, and of your secret abominations, and your idolatries, and of your murders, and your priestcrafts, and your envyings, and your strifes, and from all your wickedness and abominations, and come unto me, and be baptized in my name, that ye may receive a remission of your sins, and be filled with the Holy Ghost, ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel. I think he's looking at that. I think he's seeing the demise of this people who were so righteous and so filled with the love of God that there was literally no contention. They they were doing great. They were following the principles of the gospel and they were happy. And they just started to allow stupid things to enter into their lives. Something that all of us do, right? The moment you came out of the baptismal water, you had this feeling of purity. You had this feeling of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a better person now. And every time you take the sacrament, you probably make that commitment. I'm going to try better, even better now. And that's awesome. But then we always tend to let these little things just come back in. Well, it's not a big deal. I'll let, nah, I, I know better than this, but whatever. We, we let these little things come in. And it's like, don't ever let those little things become big. Because it shows how in such a relatively short period of time, how it can go from people who witnessed and and communed with the Savior and had fullness of joy to people who barely even recognize that the gospel exists. And that that's scary, right? Yeah. Just the idea that it can happen that quickly, and it starts with the littlest, dumbest things. Uh, it makes you really want to say, okay, yes, I'm not perfect and I will sin, but I can't ever allow those things to get big enough to where I lose track of the path. I like that. I like that because I often think of the gospel, the baptismal covenant, that it's not done. We do it. We're asked to do it every week. Let's recommit ourselves to Christ. And if and if He's instituted that, He instituted that with them in the in in the Book of Mormon. He instituted it in the New Testament. He instituted it in the Doctrine and Covenants. You know, he's he's trying to tell us, I want my disciples to be in the habit of continuously being introspective, figuring out what can I do a little bit better, letting go of that, and then doing the better thing. And I think as we do that, we will avoid the big pitfalls. We'll still sin. We'll still be imperfect. We'll still have the natural man that we have to wrestle and, 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 and fight with. But we'll avoid the big ones. And the problem is, is we we don't see how gradually, you know, we're improving. You know, it's almost like a like a line graph. You know, every week is a new little uh, data point. <laughs> and it's hard because we're only looking at this week and last week. But over a lifetime, we can see that there is improvement. And and I think we we tend to oftentimes be really hard on ourselves because we want that change to be so quick. And, yeah. and it is it is not a bad desire, but we also need to have faith and patience to know that there are no shortcuts. We have to get to the tree all the way there. Now I can see it and I can relax. You know, and that's kind of what happens in this pride cycle that we see things start going well and people kind of start relaxing <laughs> and losing a little discipline. And then before you know it, they're in bondage or they're in a war. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's repeated over and over again for good measure because, I mean, I do this every day, every week. I, I forget and I have to recommit myself. I just hope that as we read that, especially chapter 30, verse 2, it's, a, it's not really rebuking you as much as it's reminding you of the things you need to turn away from. Turn away from those things and turn to the Lord. Don't ever let yourself get to a spiritual state where you're having to hide up the records to preserve them. You know, at the end of, of fourth Nephi, there's only one chapter. So chapter one, um, verse 48 says, and it came to pass that 320 years had passed away. Amaron being constrained by the Holy Ghost did hide up the records which were sacred. Yea, even all the sacred record, records which had been handed down from generation to generation which were sacred, even until 320th year from the coming of Christ. And he did hide them up unto the Lord that they might come again into the remnant of the house of Jacob according to the prophecies and the promises of the Lord. And thus is the end of the record of Amaron. He was so concerned about the demise of the people 
that it was like it's actually better that I just hide all of this away so that it doesn't get destroyed. Yeah. That's that's a bad state to be in. And we well, can't allow ourselves to get to that point where we're like so so far gone that we'd rather the people don't even want to bring up the gospel around us, you know, because we're going to shoot it down or we're going to ridicule it or whatever. And you you know people that are like that that were part of it and maybe lost the path or they've been influenced by something on the outside that has caused them to hide up their own scriptures, you know, not to protect them like Amaron did, but more like to not acknowledge them anymore. And that's just a, a sad state, really. And and I would say that they hid up the records, but they didn't hide up their testimony, you know? Yeah. And you'll see that Amaron is the one that reaches out to Mormon and tells him, hey, Mormon, you're young, but when you turn this age, go over there and get the records. And then towards these next, kind of the final chapters of the Book of Mormon, we'll hear a little bit about another people, but we'll also hear a lot about Mormon and Moroni, how they continue to strive with the people. They continue to to plead, and oftentimes, you know, they, they, the people would kind of turn a little bit to good, and then they would go back. And, and uh, in a way, you could view it as a... Uh, not a happy ending for these people because they ultimately they but the promises of the book of Mormon are the 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 book is not done yet this story is not over the right. will the book will come back this knowledge will return the gospel will be restored and then the descendants of these people will be brought to the truth and they will flourish just as the jews will be gathered again the scattered tribes will be gathered you know, the whole earth will come to the knowledge of the Savior. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that He has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.